See you all. Welcome. If you've got a Bible, please can you turn to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to get there in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 7. We've been going through the book of Hebrews um, this term, and that's where we're up to. Before we get to that, I want you to cast your mind back to, I don't think it was this summer, it was the summer before, but I don't know if you were involved or you came across an event we had in the city called, I think it was called the Big Hoot, where there these, all these owls appeared all over the cities that were about this kind of high, and they appeared all over the city, and the idea was you had to go and kind of find them. And there was an app you could get on your phone with a map, and they were all over the place, and they were all decorated by local artists, and some of them were absolutely stunning. Me and Melanie, we took the two boys, and we, I think there were about four or five in Sutton Coalfield, but then there were, I think it was upwards of 100 plus all over various parts of the cities, and we went out and found some of them, and the boys love finding them and seeing all their beautiful colours and all the ways they've been done, and they were, they were really impressive. And then when it got to the end of the summer period, and if you'd found them all, you could say, well done, but what they did is they gathered all the owls together, and then they auctioned them off um, to raise money for the children's hospital in Birmingham, I think it was. That was the children's hospital, and the idea was you could pay some money, and you could basically have the owl for your own. I don't know if you, ha- if you did that just for yourself. I'm not sure where you'd put the owl in your garden, but there were many groups did that. And there was a local bid in Sutton Coalfield to get the Sutton Coalfield owl, which is the one you can see there, which is particularly decorated for this town, representing some of the things in this part of the city. Um, and there was a bid put forward to buy it, and we won the auction. Um, as a town, and the, the owl came back to Sutton Coldfield. It was originally up by Holy Trinity, um, the church, and then it kind of got put temporary residence in and around the Grace Church Centre in town. And if you saw it, it was sort of all over the place. And one of the big problems was actually was where are we going to put it? You know, where do we put it? They need to find permission from people. And then when they did that, they think, well, what are we going to put it on? How are we going to give it a home? And for a while, it was temporary. It was kind of, it was here, it was there. They weren't sure what they were going to do with it. And then they basically said, right, we found a permanent home for this owl. And they paid and they got the plinth, which is that black thing there you can sit on. And it's now got a permanent home. Look, look at that shot. Lovely advertising. If you want to know where the owl is, right outside Starbucks. They paid me for this. Um, so you can go and find it in town right outside our um, Starbucks, but it's now got a permanent home. If you want to find it, you now know where to go. You can go into town, and it'll be the same place for everyone, and it'll be there for years to come. So it's gone as this temporary place. Where was the owl? You had to go and find it. Now it's in the one place. Everyone's going to know where it is. It's right in the middle of town. Hundreds and hundreds of people walk past it every single day, and you all get to see it. And what we're going to have a little look at today is this whole difference between what was temporary and what is now permanent. What is temporary is what's gone in the past, and temporary never never, never meant to last, it's never going to be there for a long time, but permanent means it's going to be there, it's going to be there forever, and that's the idea. And what we're going to look at is the role of Christ and how he's permanent in what he's done and what he's doing, and the importance of that us for believers. So if you've got um, your Bible... We're going to read the whole of chapter 7, and then I will attempt to explain it to you. So, let's go. Verse 1. For this Melchizedek, he's come up twice so far, and we will now deal with him. He is king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. 
and to Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. As those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is from their brothers... Though these are also descended from Abraham, but this man, this man who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one um, of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there be for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, for which no one has ever served at the altar." For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with the tribe of Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it is without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes the Jesus the guarantor, sorry, the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that he should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of his people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, sorry, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. All right, big idea. In Jesus we have something permanent and far better. In Jesus we have something permanent and far better. If you remember, if you've been with us, you've been following along, if you go back to chapter 5, verse 11... He suddenly mentions this chap called Melchizedek. We then have a digression, which is the rest of chapter 5, all of chapter 6. He then comes back to now, at the beginning of chapter 7, mentioning this chap Melchizedek and the importance of it. And he's trying to make a point to his readers about this man. And let me give you a little bit of background before we dive in. Two things. First one, Melchizedek. Now, he's a character from the Old Testament. And you remember the author is writing to Jewish Christians. So they're believers like us, but their background is Jewish. So they're familiar with their Old Testament. 
They'll know it. They'll know it well. And so when he mentions his character, they're going to think, oh yeah, Melchizedek, I'm with you. I've got that one. But we're like, who? Well, Melchizedek only turns up twice in the entire Old Testament. He's mentioned more times in Hebrews than he is in the Old Testament. So there is not much about him. There's a small section in Genesis where he appears, where Abraham has gone to fight a battle against some kings because they've stolen some stuff from him. He wins that battle. Stay still. Oh, excuse me. My wife is touching my bum. That's nice. Totally lost my train of thought now. Where was I? Abraham. He's won a battle and he's doing very well. Um, But he returns from this battle, having won um, and defeated his enemies. And this is what it says. Literally, this is what it says about Melchizedek in Genesis. It says, after his return from the defeat of Chedrolaamor and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavar, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Hmm, wonder where that's going. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything, a tithe. That's it. Literally, that's Melchizedek. He brings him bread and wine to celebrate the victory he's won, and Abraham in return gives him a tenth of all the spoils of the, of the battles that he's won gives him a tithe in return. There's one other mentions in Psalms, Psalm 110 verse 4, where it basically says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, which is the language the author of Hebrews was writing. That's it. That's all we've got about Melchizedek. Okay, so there's not much. The other thing we need to know is about the Levitical priesthood, which he mentions here. Now, Levitical priesthood was descended from Levi, who was one of the um, sons of Jacob, which I think makes him a great-grandson of Abraham. If you follow the line down, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of those was Joseph. We preached through the back end of Genesis, looked at Joseph. One of his brothers was Levi. From the tribe of Levi, we get the priests. Not all from the tribe of Levi were priests, but all priests were from the tribe of Levi. Moses was, and his brother Aaron was the first high priest from that tribe. So that's where you get that. And then through that, you get all the times when you talk about the priests and the priesthood, the temple, the tabernacle, etc., all from there. So that's the, the priesthood, and that's Melchizedek. So let's get into what he's talking about here. Three things. First thing we're going to look at is the superiority of Melchizedek. The next one is a new order of priesthood. And the last one, we're going to look at a new permanent high priest. So first one, the superiority of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek represents what we have many times in the Old Testament is a type of Christ. He's a, a character that appears that points forward to Jesus. Many of those Old Testament characters do it in a way, show us something, a shadow, a foreshadowing of something that is going to come in Christ that is better and greater, and they are used to sort of show us what's, what was coming and what we can look back now as New Testament believers and see, oh yeah, God was building this all the way up to Jesus. And there's a few things about Melchizedek that the author points out. The first one is his high status and authority. He has a huge, so I say, he was both a king and a priest. He occupied both those offices. It said he was king of Salem. So he was a king. He had ruler, ruling power and authority over, over, what, over his kind of kingdom, his area. He made commands and judgments that had to be obeyed. He was also the priest. He said, actually, at this point, it's the first time priest is mentioned in the, in the Old Testament. He's the first 
time we hear that language is about this guy Melchizedek. And he, so he represents man to God and God to man. That's the role of the priest. Um, and he's, one, he's a priest of the Most High God. It says there he's also one who pronounces blessings on others, which he did on Abraham in that section in Genesis. So this is someone of importance who has entered the story and our author is bringing attention to him. He also points out there's something interesting about his name. His name is Melchizedek, which means the first half of his name means king, Melchi, or however you pronounce that, and then Zedek at the end means righteousness, king of righteousness. That's why it says it. So there's a righteousness, a right standing with God that comes through his name. And he's also king of Salem, being, Salem being, being peace, and that's a reference to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city of God, which is the city of peace there. So he's a king of righteousness, a king of peace. He represents the peace and the righteousness of God in his name when he comes into the story. He also has a uniqueness about him. When it says, it says there that um, he has, is without father or mother or genealogy, having no beginning or end or de- days or end of life, resembling the Son of God. And the point here he's trying to make is when we get um, Melchizedek turn up in this story, he basically has no beginning. He literally just appears, which is unusual because when we often meet people, especially in the Old Testament, what do they usually say? They, the biblical narrative introduces so-and-so, and they usually say he's son of someone else. This is so-and-so, son of so-and-so, or he's from the tribe of so-and-so, or this particular people group, just to kind of identify him in it. Melchizedek doesn't get that. He's just Melchizedek. He doesn't need to be known. He just appears in the story. And at the end of it, he just disappears in the story. He is just a man, but in terms of the biblical narrative, he's got no beginning, no end. We don't know where he came from. We don't know where he's going. He just, he just appears in the middle of it. So there is a uniqueness about him um, and, and in what he does. And then he describes his superiority about how kind of great he is. And it, it references him in reference to Abraham. Now, Abraham was the daddy Literally, the daddy of the Jewish people. He was the one everyone was descended from. And they even describe him in here, he describes him as the patriarch. So he is number one in terms of these Jews. And he's saying, right, he is number one, yet Melchizedek is greater than him. Melchizedek is better. Melchizedek was the one who was blessed by oh, Abraham. Melchizedek blessed Abraham and the greater blesses the inferior, it says. So he is the one who brought the blessing. So Melchizedek, is there's something bigger about him, something better than even Abraham, who we think is kind of impressive. He's way up there. He then mentions the ties. And actually, wait a minute. Abraham gave Melchizedek ties willingly. He just gave him a tenth of all this spoil that he'd earned in battle. Melchizedek turns out and he just gives it to him. He recognizes who he is. He honors him. And he said, actually, the, Levit, the, the Levitical priests, the, Le, the priests of Levi, they took tithes. But the reason they took them was because they were commanded to. There was a law. It's written in the law. You can go and look it up. I think it's in is it Numbers 18. They, they, they said that you've got to give the, your tithes to the priests to provide for them because they had no land, no inheritance in the land. They needed something to eat. So he said, actually, that's what we do. There was a law that gave them, that, that provided for the priesthood. But actually for Melchizedek, he just said there was no law. He just willingly gave it. And what's more, when, when the tribes of Israel tithed to provide for Levi, they were tithing to their brothers, their kindred, their family in that extended sense. Melchizedek was in essence a total stranger. Turned up on the scene and Abraham recognized him and then gave him a tenth of all he had. And all he had. And then you get this kind of funny bit at the end where it draws out where it says actually... 
even though um, Le- um, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, there's almost a thing, well, he kind of also blessed Levi, really. Why? Well, because Levi was kind of, gets a bit graphic, doesn't he? He was still in the loins of his ancestor. So Levi was to come, because Abraham would have Isaac, who would have Jacob, who would have Levi as his great-grandson, and actually the blessing just carried on. So even Levi, who was the head of the tribes of Israel, was blessed by Melchizedek, is the point he's making. Melchizedek is something so much better, so much superior to what has gone before. And he's pointing to Christ. He's making the connection, actually, where's this going? Who's, who's Melchizedek like? He's like Jesus. He's like Jesus. He's pointing forward to something bigger and greater. And then he goes on to number two. We have a new order of priesthood. A new order of priesthood. And what he does here is he make, marks out that the old style of priesthood that came from the tribe of Levi was, didn't really measure up to what it was supposed to do. It didn't quite make it. There's something new had to start to overcome the failings of the old. This is why we have a new priest in the order of Melchizedek as opposed to one not in the order of Aaron who was from that tribe and he was the first high priest. We need a new one. And basically the, the reason for the inadequacy in the old order of, was uh, that they couldn't bring perfection. They couldn't bring completeness. They couldn't bring it all together. There was something defective about it, it says. So defection had been a, perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood We wouldn't have needed anything else, but the bottom line is it couldn't do it. The old priesthood wouldn't quite match up to what it was called to do. It couldn't bring perfection to everything. So there needs to be something to supersede it, something greater to deal with the problem. And the change, the reason we needed a new priesthood was because the problem was there, there was a problem with it, which means the law itself had to be changed, is what it's in. So there was a new changing of the law, which when we get to a new covenant was coming. And he also points out that one of the problems with this priesthood was actually the one to come wasn't even from the tribe of Levi. The Levites were the priests, but actually where was the one to come? Which tribe is Jesus from? He's the lion of the tribe of... It's actually, we, actually need, we actually need another tribe to solve this situation. The Levitical priests couldn't do it. There was another order. And so Jesus come and he is from the, the tribe of Judah. And it says there, no one from Judah has ever served at the altar. The law prevented them because you had to be from the tribe of Levi. So the law had to be changed. There's a change in the law to allow this one to come. And so there is a new order of priesthood coming. This one through Christ. And he's saying, and he's saying that now because the old way couldn't obtain perfection, a new way has come, and that can obtain perfection. And we've got these differences between them. You've got the old way was through bodily descent, that actually they had to be descended from Aaron and all the way down, and so on and so forth, and they all had to be there. But the problem there, obviously, was they all started dying. There was a problem with the priesthood. They kept dying. But actually, we've got a new order of priesthood coming. Why? And it describes it in verse 16 as indestructible life. There's the fundamental difference between the old order and the new order. The old order couldn't retain perfection. It kept dying. A new order was coming, and it was indestructible. It was going to last forever. And it says that the old way was set aside. It just means, that kind of just means annulled made obsolete, there is a new way coming, and now we have a better hope. A better hope is set on this new priesthood, new priesthood through Christ that the old way couldn't quite achieve. It couldn't get us to where we needed to go. And so we have a new and better way, something that is set on more solid ground, something that is 
better for us. And the last thing we get there is a new permanent high priest. A new permanent high priest. How does this come about? Well, it says, and we've seen this back in chapter 6, that there is an oath and a guarantor. There is an oath come. Remember, God, we, said, we found out that God couldn't lie, and he's made things on oath. And he said, well, on oath, we're going to bring a new priest in. And there's going to be an everlasting priest, and he's going to be a guarantor of a better covenant. What was before is gone, is old. It couldn't quite complete us. It couldn't get us to perfection where we wanted to. But there is a new one, and he's going to be the guarantor, which is just a legal term. And the legal term means someone who assumed responsibility for someone else's debt. Someone who assumed responsibility for someone else's debt. Someone, a debt that couldn't be paid, they assume responsibility for, which is what we have in Christ. Our debts couldn't be paid, but they can be paid by him. And he's the guarantee of this better covenant. And he goes out to really underline what this new high priest is like in the last few verses of this chapter. What do we learn about this high priest? Well, it says his achievement is permanent. The key bit from that Psalm 110 that they quote verse 4 is the word forever in there. This is not a temporary thing. This is a forever thing. And we have the difference between the old order and the new order. The old order was many. There were many, many priests. There was, there was many, many high priests that were replacing him. I thought I read somewhere that the Jewish historian Josephus reckoned there was something like 83 high priests that worked, that spanned the generations that they'd worked out. But they kept coming because they kept dying. There were many priests who served at the temple but now we only have one high priest and he is permanent because of his indestructible life. He is never going away. He is going to be the high priest forever. And if we go back to the beginning of the book of Hebrews, what do we learn about Christ? We learn that he was God, the son, and he was eternal. And he had no beginning and no end. And he is going to be that priest. He's going to occupy that role for us forever. So it's never going to change. This is it, the permanent state of it. We find out his ministry is present. It's constant. It says he makes intercession for us. He is constantly looking out on our behalf through him. He always intercedes for us, which means he stands before the Father and makes our case for us. It's something that we read the Gospels, we read Acts, we see this role coming up again. He's seated at the right hand of his Father and he is constantly making our case before God. His sacrifice is complete, it is done, we are, we are permanently saved, but actually as we go through life, we all face things. And we've seen this in Hebrews already, it talked about those who are tried and tempted, we have a high priest who can sympathize, he knows what it's like to go through all those temptations, we looked at that quite specifically, that actually he can stand alongside us. It says that we should come boldly before his throne of grace to obtain grace and mercy in our time of need. And that's, this is the same idea coming up again. We have a high priest who is not aloof from us, who is not above us, who, who doesn't understand what you're going through because Christ walked the earth. He knows everything you're going through. He knows it because he is God, but he knows it because he's experienced it. Every trial, every temptation, every pain, every pressure that you come under, family pressure, financial pressure, physical pressure, He's been through it all. He knows what it's like. And it says we have this high priest now who is, his ministry is ongoing with us. At this moment, he stands before his Father in heaven and makes a case for us. Every time we come to him for what we need, what we're asking for him, he's there to answer our prayers, to be open for us. And it's never going to go away because it's permanent. 
It's a present thing that we can enjoy together. The last one, it says, oh no, sorry, the third one, it says his character is sinless. His character is sinless, which show his moral qualifications. His moral qualifications. All the other priests, one way or another, were flawed morally. That's why they had to offer a sacrifice for their own sins, as well as the sins of the people. We read some of the stories, and some of the priests were really flawed. We read about it and think they failed massively. Some got judged as a result. But they were all flawed in some way or another. But actually, we look at Christ, and what do we find? Sinlessness. Perfection. And the word is a list there in that, um, that chapter in Hebrews that just underlines that, that idea that he was perfect. Even at his trial, we go back to the Gospels and we look at the trials, and they, were, they, they pulled him up on these trumped-up charges, saying he was a blasphemer. But actually, what they couldn't find, none of the charges stuck, because they couldn't find anything wrong with him. Couldn't find anything wrong with him, but they were all there. Um, and we all know everyone has their own flaws. Just try running for president. They all get exposed, don't they? <laughs> in graphic detail. And if we ever put ourselves in that position, the same would be true for us. We'd have those kind of flaws. But Jesus is above that. And now he says he's been exalted into the heavens. He seats at the right hand of the Father. And so we have someone who is sinless in character, perfect in every way, making our case. He's not running for his own agenda or trying to manipulate us or other things. He is perfect in every way. He doesn't have to kind of work around that or we don't have to deal with, with the humanness in that failed sense as we go towards our Savior. And the last one, his offering is perfect. His offering is perfect. Unlike the priests that we read in the Old Testament, if you ever read the, the laws that come of that first half um, kind of the Old Testament, you find there are a lot of sacrifices, aren't there? A lot of animals had to die, and they had to die year on year on year on year. And why was that? Because they, they didn't cover the sin. It was only temporary. It was permanent. That The high priest on the Day of Atonement, when he went into the, um, the Holy of Holies once a year to offer, to offer um, the sacrifice for the sins of the people, he still had to offer it for himself because he was sinful. And it had to be done every year as well as all the other offerings that had to be given. Because they knew they were all morally flawed in some way that the sacrifices had to do. And the blood of bulls and goats, is said, would never fully deal with our problem, which was the problem of sin. Sin before a holy God. We've all fallen short of his standard of perfection in some way. Either by the things we've thought, said and done, or by the things we haven't thought, said and done. The sins of omission, the sins of commission, they talk about. Both things. We've failed again and again and again. And so for the priestly line, they had to keep offering the sacrifice because ultimately they were ineffective. They didn't deal with the problem fully. And then we get Christ. It says there at the end, he comes. And what did he do? He offered up sacrifice once for all. That was perfect. And what the high priest, the old high priest used to have to do was had to offer, um, offer sacrifice on behalf of the people and himself. What the new high priest did was offer a sacrifice of himself. He didn't have to offer, offer anything for himself, so he offered himself. And that's what we remember on his, when we look, think about the cross. He offered himself in our place and it was perfect. It was once for all. No more ever again. What did Christ say when he died on the cross? His last words were, it is done. 
Job done. Perfect. That's why we don't sacrifice anything anymore. We don't need to because our problem has been dealt with in Christ. His blood was perfect. What the blood of bulls and goats could never do, his has done. And we now have access and a way to our Father. So we have this new order of priests. Melchizedek was kind of this, this image of something that was going to come. This something, this foreverness, this something that was perfect, that, that was both had the peace of God and the righteousness of God, had that role of king and priest. We know Christ also is prophet as well. But it was a foreshadowing. It was a type. The old order of Levitical priesthood has passed away. It's gone. It's not needed anymore. We didn't need them because ultimately it was ineffective. What it did, all the old Levitical priesthood did, all it did, all the law did was tell us how bad we were ultimately. Because that's what the law, the purpose of the law was. This is really how bad you are, by the way. If you want to realize how bad you are, read the Ten Commandments. That's, That's all you need. And you'll suddenly realize, oh, crumbs. I need a saviour. And then we think, thank goodness we've got Jesus. (laughs) Thank goodness we've got Jesus. And so we have a new order of priesthood, a permanent high priest who is forever. That's the point. He's forever, just like Melchizedek. He's going to be forever. He's going to go on. There's going to be no change in him. And he currently lives and intercedes for us um, in heaven even now. Okay, let's wrap this up with a few application thoughts for us today. I don't know if you ever sat and kind of thought about the privilege we have as New Testament believers reflecting on what we know of our Old Testament brothers and sisters who went before us. What we have now is better. Jesus is a better priesthood than what went before. The way is now open completely when before it was closed under some very specific circumstances. Once a year the high priest go into the holy place and stand before the presence of God on the Day of Atonement. That was it. Now, it's open. When Jesus died, what happened to the temple curtain? It ripped. It ripped. It's a top to bottom. From heaven to earth, it ripped. The way is open. We've even seen in Hebrews. What did it say? It said, come boldly before the throne of grace. You are to come into God's presence with, almost, with a supreme air of confidence, not in yourself, but in what Christ has done that you stand on. And if you ever want to know what confidence looks like going to your Father in heaven, just look at some of our little children in here. They don't care who you are. My son, I've got two sons, they don't care who you are. They really don't. If they want daddy, they get daddy because they just come and talk to me. They have that confidence that they just come and they say, Daddy, I want. And it usually starts, I want. We're training them. But it usually starts, I want. And they just come, and we are called to come with that same level of confidence that we can just come before God because the way is open and the problem has been dealt with. We don't have to go to a person or a place. Old Testament, they had to go to Jerusalem when the temple was there. That's where they had to go. That's where the presence of God dwelt. It dwelt in a specific place. They could point to it. You could mark it on a map. It's not the same now. We don't have to go there. We don't have particular people we need to go to. You don't have to come to me as a leader of the church and say, I need you to help talk to God on my behalf. No, you get to talk to him. Yourself. The sacrifice has been made once for all. The sin is atoned for. Your sin, when you became a Christian, was dealt with completely once for all time. 
You are now holy and righteous, it says. You are a saint. You stand before God with confidence, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And it's not just like your sin was covered over, like you can't see it. It was removed from you, and Christ's righteousness was given to you. And so you can stand confident in that, in what Christ has done. There's no restrictions. There's nothing to fear. We don't come trembling before God, although He is awesome, and we are to fear Him. It's not like we come trembling like, is He going to answer us? Is He going to hit me with the stick like the mean headmaster? No, He is a loving Father who wants us to come and says, come to me, come to me, come to me. And we have a high priest who stands there to represent us before God, who's made the way open. It said earlier in Hebrews, He was the forerunner. The one who went before us, he blazed the trail that we follow in. And we have supreme confidence in that because Christ isn't going anywhere. And he sits there and he lives to make intercession for us each day, which is just scary when you think about it. He's making intercession for us even now. His ministry is ongoing. And so whatever it is you feel you need before God today, you can come to him. And there's a question for you, something to think about. What do you need from Jesus today? What do you need from Jesus today? Do you need grace and mercy? Because he said he'll offer it. Do you need someone to give you strength in the face of temptations that you know you're dealing with? Because we have a high priest who understands what's that like, what that's like and has grace available. Do you need courage to face a difficult situation? Face the voices that are coming against you, those who may plot to seek you harm, and you need courage to just endure, to stand. We have a high priest who knows what that lies and offer that for you today. Do you need provision in some sense of the word? You need something to happen, something to come into your life to, to make the next step possible. We have a God who runs the entire of creation. <laughs> he can provide. What about healing? I think we, we, we was read out this morning, wasn't it, by one of the kids' team, Anna, about God is a God who can bring healing as well into your life. Do you need peace because of just everything's buzzing around and you need that sense? Well, thank goodness our high priest is the prince of peace. Do you need counsel? What do I do with this situation? What do I go next? Wisdom, I've got this choice and this choice and I don't know what to do. Well, he's a wonderful counselor as well, isn't he? We heard that this morning, and he is all that on offer for you today. And all this was made possible by his death on the cross and his resurrection. And as a people of God, we have unfettered access to him. And that is wonderful news today, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. Okay, what we're going to do is, when, in a moment, we're going to share some bread and wine together. And I want us to use that as a way of kind of just remembering what Christ has done for us, that he is the high priest. We don't, there's nothing, there's no animals have been sacrificed because we don't need to do that anymore. We have the bread and the wine and it's basically just bread and just wine. We also have a non-alcoholic option um, if you prefer that. And do we have, I think there's some gluten-free bread somewhere as well, if you prefer that as well. So we're trying to be, trying to be um, open to everyone here. And what I want us to use that, right, is just to use that as a way of remembering who Christ is and what he's done. And when we share bread and wine, we look several ways. We look back to the cross, 
and Christ's death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection and the fact that that makes it all possible. We look to the present right here, right now, the fact that God is here with us. He wants to minister to us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to hear from us. And we remember that and we take the bread and wine for that. We also want to look forward to actually one day we will share this with him together in a heavenly kingdom. This is, he said, do this again till I come. So there's a temporiness to this. Because one day we will see him face to face and we'll share in a heavenly banquet, which will be a different dimension. If you are a believer here, regardless of whether you're a member of this church or any other church, we would love to share it with you. Okay, You're not restricted if you're a believer here and you, you follow Jesus and you love Jesus, you repent of your sin, all those things. We want to share it with you. If you're not a believer here, we ask you not to do that. The reason being is because it's similar to my um, wedding ring here. This wedding ring means... A huge amount to me, but to you it's just a piece of metal. doesn't mean anything, but to me it means about commitments that I have made and something that has shaped my life for the last 16 years. Bread and wine's like that. If you're not a believer, it doesn't mean anything to you. If you are a believer, it means everything to you because it points to Christ, and that's what, it, that's what it's about. So we're going to share that in a moment. Can the band come up? We're going to sing before we get into that. I'm just going to pray. You want to take this? Oh, okay. Excuse us. Do you mind stand while we just shuffle this? Thank you.